Welcome to the Unexpected Leader Podcast. You know, in the past, God chose to call fishermen and tax collectors to join him on his mission. Today, he still calls the broken. They may be sons and daughters of mechanics or of business women and men. You may be one of them in a position of lay or vocational leadership in a church or a mission agency, maybe an educational institution or denominational leadership. But if you, like me, find yourself unexpectedly in leadership, then this podcast is for you. Thanks for taking the time to listen in. We want to welcome you to the second edition of uh, the Unexpected Leadership Podcast. I'm joined today with my co-host, Lois Mitchell. Hi. Good to and be here. Lois and I are joined with Rob Nyland, who's the pastor at River Cross Community Church in St. John, New Brunswick. Rob, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. We're really pleased to have you. Rob, just as we get started and before we jump into kind of maybe the unexpected leadership piece of the podcast, maybe you can just give uh, our listeners a sense of the context that you now find yourself in. Sure. So uh, River Cross, we would describe ourselves as a beautiful community. Um, By that, we mean diverse. Um, We're diverse economically. Uh, We have rich and poor uh, together and everything in between. We have um, people from, I think, 19 or 20 different countries around the world who are part of our congregation. And we have people from a a broad um, religious background, whether that's denominationally and people who've come to us from other faiths as well and are now Christians. So it really uh, is kind of a a real diverse group. It's wonderful. It comes with lots of challenges, but uh, but more joys. And we really picture our vision is to be a blessing to our city and the image that we use to describe that is is that of a river that where the river flows life abounds and we just want to be that in our community so we're kind of always looking for opportunities to serve and get involved in our neighborhood uh, and see how god might use us to bring people um, back to life yeah i don't think i ever heard the description of river cross the the purpose or the the reasoning behind the name so i appreciate that yeah rob we talk about unexpected leaders uh, on this podcast One of the questions we like to ask really is, you know, when you go back to the grade 12, grade 11, you know, Rob, you know, what were your plans? Like, what were you thinking that you wanted to be trained to do? Right. Well, uh, grade 11, grade 12, nothing. I had no future ambitions. I was uh, maybe the stereotypical high school guy just looking for the weekend and not had no real um, ambitions in any career or vocation. Um, I became a Christian just the last weeks of my grade 12 year, and I n- was scheduled to go to St. Thomas University at that point, and I believe I was going to study social work. And I just remember thinking that's probably not going to be a good environment for me. And so I registered to Crandall or ABC at the time. And I just knew I needed to be in a Christian environment. And so I went there. But again, had no real clear vocational plans or anything. And if you'd asked me if I was ever going to consider ministry at that point in my life, I would have, you know, laughed at you because it was not even on my radar. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, things change, though, right? We kind of have that an idea of what we may want to do, sociology, whatever it would be. And then something happens that we kind of take a, a veer, you know, in another direction, and God begins to put things in our path that invites us somewhere else. What, when you think back to, the, to when the change happened for you, um, what were some of the pieces in play that God began to use to direct you 
uh, toward ministry? Yeah, there's really two, I guess, that I that I can put my uh, finger on. The first would be local church experience. I got involved in a local church, and they um, immediately got me in the worship team, and I was playing guitar there. Uh, the pastor had me come in and um, redo his library and his office, which I realize in hindsight was just an excuse to kind of push me towards ministry and encourage me on what to read and what to be thinking about. Um, he gave me his car and I traveled around the different parts of the city uh, playing in the backyard Bible clubs. He just gave me opportunities to serve and I started to discover what that was like. The other experience that was critical for me was being a resident assistant or an RA at university my last two years. And just having guys come down the hall and sit down and talk about their faith, um, talk about their life, and just kind of help guide them and give them some direction. And I really uh, enjoyed that. And I didn't have a burning bush moment, and the Lord didn't write anything on the wall for me. Uh, but I just had this sense that this calling or this sense that I was feeling could not be satisfied on a part-time basis, and that I needed to kind of give myself fully to it, which is when I started to uh, consider uh, ministry as a vocation. So at that time, as you anticipated maybe full-time ministry of some kind, were you envisioning pastoral ministry? That's a good question. I don't think I thought about it that specifically. I just felt this sense I needed to be doing this kind of work. I was involved in um, another youth ministry in the city, an university group, and was leading a small group there. I was playing in a vineyard worship team, playing guitar there. I was just in this world, and I really didn't have any sense um, and I didn't see anything within myself that would say, oh, I think this is probably where I should go. It was other people seeing things yeah. um, in me long, long before I, I saw them uh, in myself. And back when you were organizing books on the bookshelf and talking about books, were you drawn to specific authors or books or were there any pivotal moments that came through reading? Well, I had, I think, maybe three or four Christian books at that time in my whole library. So uh, anything was new. It was a whole new world to me. And yeah. I'm, a, I'm a reader by nature. It was all new to me. Yeah. I didn't know what a commentary yeah. was. I didn't know that there was a magazine for pastors because there was a leadership journal out in those yeah. days. Um, all of that was new to me. And it was just like my mind was just all these rooms were opening up that yeah. I didn't even know existed. If you can go back to those early days and think about God inviting you into something more and bigger than what you were experiencing at that time, what was your comfort level with that? You know, I had a lot of trepidation. Um, when I went to Crandall, being actively involved in a local church was new to me. Um, I didn't grow up actively involved in a youth group. And all the students, or it seemed like a number of the students at Crandall at the time, had grown up in church, had uh, been actively involved in camp, or leaders in their youth group, had all been to events like Spring Forth and all these other events. They had this whole world of experience that was I felt outside of. And so when I went to, when I, when I was there, I always felt a little bit on the outside of things. Um, so I never, you know, would have imagined myself, you know, fitting into that world even. Was there a time when you can go back and say, I started to fit in at such and such a time? Was there an experience that you had that kind of said, okay, although I may unexpectedly be here, I, I feel or I sense that I have the capacity to do what I'm being invited to? I'm hoping that comes soon. <laughs> um, I don't, I can't think of a time, I mm -hmm. guess, that I really felt a, this is a natural fit for me. I think it's always, you know, a challenge to, to lead and, and to lead at the local church level. Um, but no, I can't think of a time when, when that changed. 
there's a bit of a tension there, isn't there? Like in the sense that we're unexpectedly called, but then we just never really feel like we kind of can fit or measure up to that calling. Right. And uh, it's out of that, you know, often out of that tension that we find God's grace to be able to say, you know, I've invited you, I've called you, I'll sustain and provide for you. Right. But it is, it's it's a dissonance that occurs within our own self that we're right. always trying to find a way to marry. Well, we, you know, here at the local church level, when we were talking about this the other day, when we approach someone as a candidate to be a deacon in our church, you know, the number one response from the people that we ask is, I, I'm not... I shouldn't do that. I don't think I measure up. I'm probably not spiritual enough. I'm not. And we always say, good, that's exactly the kind of person we're looking for. If they say, oh, yeah, I'd be great for that, then immediately we wonder, well, maybe this wasn't a good idea. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting in terms of principles of leadership. Like I think sometimes in our leadership cultures, um, even within Christian, you know, kind of settings, uh, we probably need to work a little harder at at freeing people up to to say, yeah, it's you're you're not the only one that feels underqualified. That right. uh, well, as we as we said in the intro, you know, God calls people out of like various backgrounds, right, right. and we often feel pretty unprepared for for what we're we're being yeah. asked to do. And I certainly don't want you to, you know, I guess I'm speaking more to my insecurities than to mm-hmm. humility too. It's not yeah, just yeah. that I think. You know, it's a humble yeah, posture. Yeah, 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 yeah. Some of the times, it, and that's part of, I think, all of us have to wrestle yeah. with our own insecurities yeah, yeah. and say, well, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with this to feel adequate to this task. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I, I th- yeah. That's And I think it's a, it is a critical differentiation. And I think how we deal with our insecurities is something that we don't talk about enough. Like yeah. we don't talk openly and, and in a way that's helpful. Because how people deal with their insecurities, I think, is a huge prerequisite for stepping into the role that they are, that they're doing. How they do it, how effectively they do it, has a lot to do with how they deal with their insecurities. Yeah, I've heard Laurel Beckingham use the phrase that the number one killer of pastors in, in ministry is their own insecurities. Sure. So that that kind of maybe opens up the door for another question. How is it that you deal with those insecurities? Um, Not to kind of reveal the individual insecurities that you might have. We don't have time for that, and we're not Dr. Phil or Oprah. But I'm just kind of wondering, what do you do to battle the insecurities in your world? And so maybe that's in authors you read. Maybe that's in podcasts you listen to. Maybe it's in how you kind of um, feed your soul. But just how are some of those different... um, pieces of our life, uh, you know, that you found that works to help you kind of live the leadership invitation that God's given you by not allowing yourself to be swallowed up by your insecurities? Well, I think, you know, a few, a few things come to mind right away. One is you can't, an insecurity is a voice in your life. And you can't just have that voice alone in your life. You have to have other voices in your life, people who know you, um, love you, and will accept you in spite of your insecurities, but will also give you good counsel, good feedback, affirm your gifts, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So you can't just have one voice. And the other thing is just the whole, for me, prayer has been such an important part of um, knowing that I can bring myself and all of my baggage into the Lord's presence and kind of work that through there um, is important, has been important as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I really appreciate 
the role that other voices, I love the way you put that, you know, that it's one voice. And if you're only listening to that one voice, you will be paralyzed and incapacitated. But the quality of the other voices speaking mm -hmm. into your ministry and life are really important. So how, like, did those people, did they just come to you or did you seek them out? I think the Lord saw I was really going to need a lot of help because he has allowed my path to cross with some great people. So I would say initially he brought them to me, but I've had to hold on to them. Um, so, you know, I think about um, David Watt, who uh, mm -hmm. early in my ministry years took me in his car visiting and then would give me questions after the visit. Um, I think of Dave Morehouse, who was instrumental in my early years at, at Crandall, um, Bruce Fawcett, and, and all of these people are great leaders, but they also have a great heart. Mm -hmm. And that's what always impressed yeah. me. They yeah. were just, they were great inside and out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but I've had to work now because at first when you're young, you just kind of are grateful for those voices yeah. and they're kind yeah. of um, taking the lead on it. But then later in life, you kind of got to circle back and say, mm -hmm you know, hey, how's it going and how do I keep connected to these people and keep benefiting from their, mm -hmm. uh, from their voice in my life? I was on my third day of vacation and my phone rings and it's David Watt calling, you know, just checking yeah, check in, in and, yeah. you know, those, those things yeah. are priceless. Yeah. And how does that impact you in terms of then engaging with younger leaders? Do you intentionally seek then to mentor others? That would be kind of that piece and how do you go about doing that? Well, you know, it's interesting you say that. I think there's a, I don't know when it is for everybody, but for me, it's been in this last year, a turning point where you realize um, at what point, and maybe it's an age thing, you start to feel old and you say, okay, maybe it's it's my turn now to, to give back. Um, and I think you have to realize where you are in your ministry journey and, um, and start to realize, you know, what are the opportunities in front of me, uh, in front of each of us to kind of pour into the lives open the door, and I think about mm -hmm. uh, some of the stories I mentioned earlier. You know, I had no no reason to do any of the things I did. I had, mm -hmm. I had no credentials. I had no experience. Yeah. <laughs> I had nothing. Yeah. But they opened the door and said, play the guitar here, take my car, go here, uh, come with me, we're going to go visit here. They opened the door and made space available for me to lead and learn and make a pile of mistakes. Um, and, you know, I don't know that we're as generous that way um, as we ought to be. I'm just kind of thinking back, trying to envision this, and, and mm. I know most of the people are all the people that you've mentioned. What what do you think that they saw in you? I don't know, yeah. I guess, really. I mean, I don't, I don't know that I can put my finger on it. Desperation, maybe? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Rob, one of the things that I've noticed as we try to, um, as a denomination, like other denominations and really like most professional uh, categories, they're struggling to find young leaders to come forward and to kind of emerge into a leadership stream and kind mm -hmm. of, you know, carry, you know, the mission on, so to speak. And one of the things that I've, I've kind of noticed is something that you referenced in, in just that, what you were sharing about... Um, the ability that you were given or the opportunity that you were given to enter into some leadership roles. And uh, we went through or felt like we went through a season in maybe the last 10 or 15 years where we got away from letting younger leaders have opportunities in front of congregations on a Sunday morning or to lead in Bible studies or whatever the case may be. 
even I kind of go back in my own story, and even though this wasn't where I ever saw myself being, I remember the pastor of our church, Lou Farrell, who, you know, and I can name about four or five individuals who are in ministry within the CBAC right now, and even outside of that, that Lou just gave his pulpit away all the time. And if, you know, if we wanted to pray or we wanted to preach or whatever the case, he gave us that opportunity. And I remember, you know, being like 19 years old, coming back from my first year at at college, realizing that, yeah, God had called me and invited me into pastoral ministry. And Lou said, well, you can preach. And I'm like, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. And so when I kind of think about what we've kind of lost maybe in that sense, and and I think it's a tension because I understand the need for Sunday morning to be, you know, a place where people can come in, they can feel like they're welcomed and they're, you know, in a space of of, uh, care and genuineness. And so we've kind of moved away to kind of almost kind of take away all of the potential things that might disrupt a good flow, so to speak. Uh, but I'm wondering, how do we get back to that? Or is there a place for that? Mm. Or are there other opportunities that you see in, in a leadership matrix that would give young leaders, emerging leaders, the opportunity to kind of be given responsibilities uh, to experience what it is that God could invite them to? Right, yeah. Well, I think um, that model that I experienced, I think is still a great one for today, but it wasn't just, you know, these leaders, it was the congregations. They saw this as part of their, um, part of their calling was to create space for leaders, let them make a lot of mistakes. We'll all roll our eyes and say, well, they'll get better eventually. (laughs) Um, and just, that was part of their accepted sense of Mm -hmm. ministry to this young person that someone had to sit under really bad preaching and you know, awkward leadership and let the person get their feet under them. So I think, you know, it's not just the pastor, the church has to say this, we're, we're willing to have on a Sunday morning, someone come up and speak that might not be very good mm-hmm. and yeah. might make some mistakes, but the calling or our calling in their life is greater than just, we want great sermons out of you. So mm-hmm. I do think that's important. And I do think, you know, and you use the words um, that they want to lead you know, they don't want to just be exposed to ministry. They don't want to just be like a junior deacon where they sit at the table and don't speak. They want to give shape to um, to the work that the the church is doing. Um, and I think we need to wrestle with where where can we let that happen. And to think that if you've got a young person that is seriously interested in ministry and wants to get involved, I don't think there's piles of them, so we ought to give them ample opportunity. Can you think of any occasion where you thought you departed from whatever the status quo was, sort of um, either culturally or theologically, kind of went out on a limb, and what, you know, sort of what the response was to that? Well, I mean, I can think of a few situations, Um, maybe not so much theologically. I remember my very first night of youth group at First Baptist Dartmouth, high school youth Mm -hmm. group. And I was, you know, in seminary, so I knew everything. (laughs) And I think I did a study on something about Psalm 42 in the original Hebrew, which you can imagine if you're a grade 10 kid in Cole Harbor is exactly (laughs) what you're dying to learn about. Um, And it was so bad. And I remember one of the leaders afterwards came and put his arm around me and just encouraged me. Um, But I remember it was just so, I remember another time when I was in in another congregation and we had done some events and we had broke some things and angered all kinds of people. I can remember times leading worship when 
I made statements that were theologically completely incorrect. Um, you know, just yeah, incorrect theological statements are completely acceptable on this podcast <laughs> because Lois and I expect to make many, many of them yeah, yeah. Uh, in the numbers uh, yeah. sessions that we will do. Good, good. So you're in good company, I think. <laughs> As you think about leadership within our current culture. Um, Todd Bolsinger has said that one of the primary tasks of a leader is to first define reality. And so if you think about the reality of church, mission, the context that we find ourselves in, in a, you know, whether you want to label it as post-Christian, post-modern, what do you think are the primary challenges that a leader faces today? Well, I think, you know, for, and especially if you're leading a church that's got a long history in a community, um, and a congregation that's got generational mm-hmm. families in it, it's just coming to grips with the fact that the church is now on the margin of culture. Mm. And that, just accepting that and just saying this is what it is. It's got lots of maybe downfalls, but it's got some great opportunities. And just being free to say um, we're in a new day and the things that got us here won't get us any further probably. And we have to relearn, we have to experiment, we have to try some new things and figure some things out. Um, You know, just admitting where we are and saying, hey, we are where we are, and let's embrace it and see what the Lord might do. You know, most of the New Testament was written in non-Christian culture where the church was on the fringe. And so I think anytime we read the book of Acts, um, Paul's letters to the churches trying to encourage them forward in ministry, you know, they're more applicable to us now than maybe ever. So you're, you're kind of describing uh, a little bit of a learning lab and kind of what, you know, the, the need for experimentation to kind of say what's going to work, what's not going to work. What are some of the things that, that you've maybe been able to see work within the context that you're in now uh, here at River Cross? Like, are you able to identify a couple of different things that you kind of go, you know, we didn't realize that that would work, but it did? Yeah, so I think probably the, the biggest one for us was um, the story of this congregation. It's 176 years old, um, and it's been a part of the North End for that entire time. And um, in the last six years, we've relocated from our old, um, I refer to it as a First Baptist Church-like sanctuary, sloped floor, oak pews, pipe organ, uh, stained glass windows on both sides. You get the idea. So we've relocated to a, to a new facility. And for us, the big risk was um, we felt called to the community. Mm. And we knew we couldn't stay there and continue to grow. We knew we couldn't leave there and abandon our old our, our ministry in the neighborhood. So we said, maybe we can go and stay at the same time. And so we've, mm. that was the risk for us. Mm. We kept that facility. Mm. Um, we put a lot of money into repurposing it and making it useful specifically for ministry in the neighborhood. Um, it was a huge risk. It was an expensive risk um, to a congregation that was, hadn't had a mortgage in probably... 177 years. Um, we now have a mortgage. We've got two buildings. Um, hopefully the church will grow. I mean, there was a lot of uh, risk. What we discovered was a lot of people want to be a part of a church that is serving its community. And that really has been a learning for us. And we didn't, I think we maybe sensed it, but we didn't realize it was as strong as it was. Lois and I were talking uh, earlier today and we were saying that there's two things that, that kind of seem to be significant, I think, in our culture. 
one you've just touched on is that sense that people want to make a difference, mm. that especially with an emerging generation, they truly want to be able to communi- uh, be involved with community change and making a difference in people's lives. And then I think the other thing is that people are lonely. They want to be in relationship. I mean, even as an introvert, I, I still want to be in relationship with people. It's just not all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think that those two things are really pieces that the church could really, in terms of trying to understand kind of how we bring the mission forward, uh, is pieces along the lines of, of engaging people in community. Yeah, and I think, you know, the demographic that we would say has been most um, excited about this is our boomer demographic is they retire. Mm. They've worked for all these years. They're retiring. Many of them are still capable of contributing in a significant way and they get involved and they've got time. They've got Mm. lots of expertise. Um, They've got friends who are also looking to get involved in things and they bring them along and get them involved in ministry. And uh, so it's been really kind of neat to see. For lots of people, getting involved and meeting practical needs um, is a ministry um, and becomes almost a way of life, like it's just a way of being. Is, is it a challenge as a pastor to try to ensure that there is a good theological foundation, like a strong theological foundation, that it's not just more of, you know, like, you know, I, I think there could be a sense where we get swept along with a culture of, of volunteerism or do, you know, like just doing good without judgment, you know, just like show up and do stuff for people. That's perfectly consistent with scripture, but the theological foundation upon which they're basing their activity, is, is that a challenge? Sure. And I think, you know, we have a phrase that we use um, when we talk about this publicly and in training, we are not nice people doing nice things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, We are broken people. God came to us. He met us where we were at. Um, he's redeemed us and he's set us free to, mm-hmm. to show that same love to other people. So we now go with that same kind of mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not just about doing good deeds. Mm-hmm. It's bigger than that. And the other thing too, which mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people often make the connection is that your volunteering is part of your discipleship process. Mm-hmm. So let's say you've grown up in a largely middle to upper middle class life and now you're serving in an impoverished community. You discover I've got attitudes about these yeah, people yeah. Um, and I'm learning about that. And so how does Christ meet me there and help change my thinking about his people uh-huh. um, who are different than me. How does he change my thinking about um, the Syrian community that we've been involved yeah. with? How does he open my eyes and I maybe didn't see them this way, yeah. but I need to see them this way. And so I think all of that is part of discipleship. And too mm-hmm. often we think, you know, that's they're, they're separate. Discipleship mm-hmm. and serving are two separate yeah. things, yeah. but it's it's not that way at all. Yeah, I like the the emphasis um, that I'm hearing you put on discipleship. And I wonder if there's been a period in our history where, you know, we didn't think as much about intentional efforts to disciple people. Once, once they'd come to faith, it's kind of like, okay, now we can, we can go out and find more people to bring in. And maybe we drop the ball a little bit on that. We, we wrestle with doing a good job at that. And how do we know that we're helping people become fully devoted to, to Christ and, and mm-hmm. kind of let the whole reign of Christ rule over their, every area mm-hmm. of their life. Too often, I think, it's been purely about how many people do we have sitting in a class where mm-hmm. someone's teaching them stuff, and that's important. Um, but when I think of my own life, my role of wrestling how to be a good dad, that's part of my discipleship. Mm-hmm. Me wrestling with how to spend my money, that's part of my discipleship. 
Uh, me deciding how nice to be with my neighbor who uh, maybe plays their music too loud, that's part of my discipleship. Yeah, yeah. So all of life is really, and I think if we can get people to think about it that way, suddenly the scriptures become more meaningful to us, suddenly prayer becomes more yeah. important to us. I think we're moving in that direction, but I think we've got a ways to go. Rob, one of the things that we've talked about, you know, uh, in preparation for this podcast was how do we open the dialogue around some of the hot button topics within our um, culture today? And I thought maybe the way to do that would just be kind of to allow you to maybe identify one or two of the primary things that when you talk with people in your congregation kind of one-on-one or they're saying, you know, at the door on, you know, going out and they're saying, you know, pastor, this is what I'm struggling with or this is what our family's wrestling with. Um, You know, I think for us as leaders, we need to begin to kind of talk about some of those issues that we're facing within our congregations because, that bleeds out into kind of what our culture's struggling with. And sometimes we think we just need to preach harder or we need right. to kind of, you know, have more altar calls or, you know, return back to kind of the old the old hymns of the faith. Not that there's anything wrong with the old hymns of the faith. Not at all. But uh, just kind of what are some of the things that you're seeing or that you would identify if I said, you know, what are the top two or three things that your people are struggling with and you guys are trying to address? The top two that I would say that I... I spend time talking to people about the most. Um, One is obviously mental health issue, depression, anxiety. um, And then it usually doesn't come to us in that way. It comes to us, I've been drinking, I'm using Mm. pornography, I'm doing these other things to kind of medicate or numb Mm -hmm. my, what really is in some cases a mental health issue. Um, The other one is just busyness. And if I'm to use a Dallas Willard line, uh, lack of clarity about where true life comes from. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I don't really know where true life comes from, so I just do everything, and I just keep piling more things, and I try to keep up with these people. Or And so my life is chaotic, but I'm going to church on Sunday, so I must be a Christian. And, <laughs> you know, there's a real disconnect there, mm-hmm. I think. And people don't see their pace as part of their mm-hmm. discipleship either. Yeah. And so those are the two things, families that are just kind of being run ragged um, by their own choosing and just kind of a lack of clarity about what are going to be the things you know we use when we meet with a couple to get married we ask the question what's the story you want to tell with your lives and so I think of families too what's the story you want to tell with your family life and if you don't have clarity on that you'll just kind of Mm. do what everybody else is doing which is not necessarily a bad thing my family does lots of that stuff too mm. but um, just what makes us Christian what makes our life unique um, what makes us distinct as a Christian people I remember I went to seminary with a guy and uh, he was from uh, Ghana and he said to me you know Rob the thing that bothers me about Canada is I can't look around and tell who the Christians are mm. because their lives yeah. aren't different enough, which I thought was an interesting an interesting observation. And certainly I'm not calling for a reinstatement of the legal code here. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But I do yeah. think there is something significant about that. When you think about those two issues, and because those are two issues that I think a lot of those who are going to be listening to this can kind of identify in their own life uh, and in the ministry mission kind of lay or vocation that they would find themselves in. What are some of the things that you would say um, you feel that you've made some progress in helping people with in their journeys? 
Well, again, I think, you know, being honest about your own struggle in this area. This is hard mm. for me to live out too. I've got four kids. Um, my wife and I both work. You know, our life has a pretty good pace to it. So what are the mm. intersection points that make our life any different from our neighbors around us? And then the other, I think, is to help people see this as part of their discipleship. Yeah. Um, so the the my wrestling with how to behave at work, how to deal with this situation at work, is part of my becoming like Christ. Um, all of these things, trying to figure out how involved, how busy we should be. Um, do we have time to have uh, our neighbors over for supper? Um, all that kind of stuff. This is all part of that wrestling with the call that God has on our life. So it's not separate. You know, this really is part of that basic mm-hmm. discipleship life. Yeah, I, I love the the way that you have framed those as, you know, key issues. And I think sometimes we have a tendency, you know, like I might have expected you to identify, you know, some of the sort of the public issues, the, sure. you know, the LGBTQ plus the gender and sexual orientation issues, or, you know, like abortion is an issue that just continues to be, you know, we, we continue to wrestle with that. And I appreciate that you, that in framing it the way you have, that you've identified what maybe, I, I often think the terms of the discussion are dictated to us by culture. And we enter into a discussion at a level that we're, uh, without the foundation that you've identified, we have nothing much to say hmm. in a way that could be heard because, you know, like we're entering in at a certain level, but without a foundation, what we're saying makes no sense. So then, as I think about congregations that I am a little bit familiar with, there might be people that would just say, but but I want to know what I should say about this issue. Right. Like, how do you make that connection? We do a lot of that one-on-one because the context is so important to mm-hmm. the answer. Um, so as we talk to people who say maybe have a coworker and they're struggling with a situation or someone mm-hmm. in their family has a certain view on a certain thing, um, you know, helping, uh, hearing the whole story mm-hmm. behind the story yeah. is so helpful yeah. in giving yeah. um, a truthful and gracious way forward for mm-hmm. that person yeah. and trying to wrestle with it. Um, kind of blanket statements don't tend to be very helpful. Yeah. Um, they're never going to convince anybody of anything. Um, so that's been kind of our yeah. approach. Rob, as we uh, kind of get ready to wrap up here, um, if you could go back to the 19, 20, 21-year-old Rob, what advice would you give yourself? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, probably the, the first thing I would say is just travel with good people. So travel with people who... Um, want the best for you in that Christian kind of way, not success, but just they want you to operate in your area of giftedness. Um, They want you to be um, true to your calling that you've been called, so not try to be somebody that you're not, not try to pretend to be like somebody else. Just travel with a group of people who are of that like mind. Um, I think there's a lot of weird pressure in pastor world um, to compare ourselves to other people, other churches. It's just, it's silly. It's goofy. But we all fall into it to a certain, expen- uh, certain extent. So I think that would be the travel with some good people who will call that out in you if you slip into that knowingly or unknowingly, um, if you're hard on yourself for reasons that make no sense whatsoever. Um, just travel with some people mm-hmm. like that. Rob, we want to thank you for joining us uh, for this podcast. And uh, thank you for the wisdom and the insight and the vulnerability. And uh, we wish you well 
And uh, to our listeners, we want to thank you for uh, taking the opportunity to uh, download and listen to this podcast. And we look forward to sharing with you in the future. Thanks for listening to the Unexpected Leader podcast from the Canadian Baptist of Atlantic Canada. We're a family of over 450 churches and organizations joined together with the mission of joining God in our neighborhoods. This is a podcast from our Center for Leadership Development, and we want to invite you to join the conversation by heading to Instagram, where our username is unexpectedleader. You might also be considering whether God is unexpectedly calling you as a leader. And if that is you, we invite you to head over to www.yourcalling.ca and check out the content we've created just for you. Again, that website address is www.yourcalling.ca. Today's episode is part of Season 1 of the Unexpected Leader Podcast. Please make sure to subscribe so you'll get new episodes as they're released.